on Wednesdays at 1900 UTC. This is BOA News. I'm Michael Brown. AP correspondent Ed Donahue reports the United States is preparing new punishment for Russia. President Biden met with Navalny's widow and daughter in San Francisco. As we state the obvious, he was a man of incredible courage. And it's amazing how his wife and daughter are emulating that. The meeting leads up to an announcement of new U.S. sanctions against Russia. Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland described them as crushing, targeting not just those responsible for Navalny's death. The vast majority of them, though, are designed to uh, further attrit Putin's war machine to close uh, gaps in the sanctions regime that that he has been able to evade. Newland says Vladimir Putin believes he can wait out the West on Navalny and Ukraine. We need to prove him wrong. I'm Ed Donahue. For the first time in 50 years, a U.S. craft has touched down on the moon. We are on the, on the surface and we are transmitting and uh, welcome to the moon. But company officials at Intuitive Machines, a private company that created the lunar lander, say it was sending a weak signal. The U.S.-based company was striving to become the first private business to pull off a lunar landing, a feat achieved by only five countries. The craft is part of NASA's effort to commercialize moon deliveries ahead of the planned return of astronauts. There hasn't been a U.S. spacecraft on the moon since the end of NASA's Apollo program. Senegalese President Macky Sall said on Thursday that he will end his term in April, as expected. But he didn't give a new date for the presidential election originally scheduled for Sunday. The Constitutional Court ordered the government to set a new election date as soon as possible. But Saul's government still hasn't set a date. For more news, please join us at voanews.com. This is VOA News. Israeli strikes in Gaza killed 48 as fears mount over humanitarian crisis and West Bank violence. We get more on the story from AP correspondent Karen Chalmers. A flurry of seven Israeli strikes hit Rafah, one of them flattening a large mosque and devastating much of the surrounding block. Footage from the scene showed Al Farouk Mosque pancaked to the ground, with its concrete domes tumbled around it and nearby buildings shattered. Another strike hit a residential home in Rafah, sheltering the Al Shire family, killing several people, including a mother and her child. The Israeli offensive in Gaza continues amid a worsening humanitarian crisis and potential starvation in the territory. The foreign ministers of 26 European countries have called for a pause in fighting, leading to a longer ceasefire. They urged Israel not to take military action in Rafah that they say would worsen an already catastrophic humanitarian situation. I'm Doctors and potential parents are wondering what to do next with a ruling by Alabama State Supreme Court on frozen embryos. We get the details from the AP's Jackie Quinn. Several medical facilities, including the University of Alabama at Birmingham, are halting their in vitro fertilization programs, with the state Supreme Court saying that frozen embryos are legally considered the same as children, and providers can be held responsible for their deaths. Equating an embryo to a child is scientifically unfounded. In Atlanta, Dr. Jennifer Kawas at Emory's Reproductive Center. Limiting the capacity of physicians to care for patients with infertility. But at the Fertility Institute of North Alabama, Dr. Brett Davenport tells the AP they'll continue providing services as usual. We will um, adjust our informed consents and re 
redo those with all of these patients. Some legal experts think the Alabama ruling is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm Jackie Quinn. Britain and its former partners in the European Union have struck a deal to cooperate more on tackling illegal migration. It's the latest sign of a thawing in relations between the two sides following Brexit. The British government said in a statement Friday that the U.K. border agencies and the EU's border and Coast Guard agencies Frontex will be able to access each other's intelligence to secure borders and tackled organized immigration crime. Relations between the two sides on an array of issues has been improving in the past few months. Ties were severely tested during the drawn-out divorce negotiations that followed Britain's 2006, or 2016, that is, vote to leave the EU. For details on much more news, we invite you to join us at our website, voanews.com. I'm Michael Brown, VOA News. Saturday is the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ukrainians continue to fight bravely, but they are running low on supplies. U.S. President Biden meets with Yulia and Dasha Navalny. As you state the obvious, he was a man of incredible courage. And it's amazing how his wife and daughter are emulating that. And the United States has returned to the moon. Nova C and the United States has landed on the moon at 5.23 p.m. Central Time today, February 22nd, 2024. Today is Friday, February 23rd, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. Saturday marks the second anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's been a tough week for Ukraine. A major retreat on the battlefield, still no new aid from the United States, and both materiel and troops growing thin. From Kyiv, here's VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Marislova Gangadze. Days before the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion, Ukraine decided to withdraw from Avdiivka, a city in the Donetsk region. In the U.S., the White House blamed the move on Congress's failure to provide additional aid, saying that Ukrainians continue to fight bravely, but they are running low on supplies. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke to the Munich Security Conference on the day of the withdrawal. Do not ask Ukraine when the war will end. Ask yourself. Why is Putin still able to continue it? Ukrainians in Kyiv are taking it hard and bracing for the prospect of a prolonged war. Kyiv independent editor Olga Rudenko was at her desk when the Russian invasion began in February 2022, when her online publication was just months old. Anthony Blinken said that the invasion of Ukraine is going to start uh, before dawn. And that was the moment when it suddenly became very real. When Russian President Vladimir Putin finished his speech on the eve of the invasion, she was ready. We prepared a news item saying Putin announces um, war against Ukraine. And uh, when he stopped speaking, we published it. And uh, 
around that time we heard explosions. After two years of continuous war coverage, the Kiev Independent became a main English-language publication reporting developments on the ground in Ukraine. Its goal is to help the world understand what Ukrainians are fighting for. It is very frustrating to be here in Ukraine and to watch all the news coming out uh, about the Congress not uh, being able to vote for the aid package for Ukraine because it may be, you know, for them, maybe numbers. But for us, it's about real lives and real people. Volodymyr Omelyan, a major in the armed forces of Ukraine, once served as Ukraine's Minister of Infrastructure. Standing in the Kiev's central square, he reflected on Ukraine's state of mind. We become much stronger uh, by arms, by people, and definitely it's not a kind of pleasant cruise, and it's not that the war will be over in two, three weeks or very soon. It will take a while, unfortunately. But uh, morale is still very high, because if there is no will, there is no victory. And in our case, will is strong. In Kiev, people hope the war will end. I want to see my mother, father. They are from, uh, uh, they are abroad. I'm here saying because I can't uh, come to them. We scary every day, every night. We we want to peace in our country. We want stop Putin and return our territory. This is will be a long war and uh, feel terrible. Ukraine uh, will not win. This big enemy without international community. The Ukrainians who spoke with VOA said that if drafted, they would join and defend their country. They also said that they hope the world understands they are fighting for common democratic values and that they need help. Moroslava Gungadze, VOA News, Kyiv, Ukraine. Moroslava got a chance to sit down with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Bridget Brink. Here is some of that conversation. So thank you for, for this opportunity. Um, you arrived in Ukraine uh, as a U.S. ambassador a few months after um, the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. How did you find Ukraine back then, and how did you find Ukraine now? Well, I found Ukraine and Ukrainians tough and resilient, and I find the exact same today. And I'm really proud we have supported Ukraine. We just have to help you finish the job. Today, Ukraine is in dire need of military support. There are delays in Congress um, for, uh, for this support. Uh, how are uh, you explaining to Ukrainians uh, why it's taking so long to U.S. to decide uh, when and, and how they will support Ukraine? Well, what I've been explaining to Ukrainians is that there's bipartisan support for Ukraine in America and in our Congress. I have been doing, and the president and everyone in the administration has been doing everything possible to communicate to Congress and also to the American people why it's important to support Ukraine, and we will continue to do that. Despite congressional uh, inaction um, to send much-needed uh, support, Pew Research Institute had a research, 73% of Americans supporting um, the Ukraine as a, a national security interest for the uh, United States. There are bipartisan, as you said, support in Congress as well. Is Ukraine winning in the U.S. national interest? Absolutely, yes. Uh, as President Biden said, we support Ukraine winning this war, making sure that it's a strategic defeat for Putin. And I think there's broad support for that in the Congress and among the American people. Conservative voices in, um, in Congress are asking about accountability 
for the U.S. Um, aid for Ukraine. U.S. inspectors recently visited Kyiv. Uh, can you give us uh, some insight how um, the accountability process works here in Ukraine? Well, I can tell you we're watching like a hawk from the embassy. About a third of my team is devoted to oversight. We also have three inspectors general who are at the embassy as well, and they have staff of 400 people in around the world. So there is oversight happening both uh, with the Ukrainians, with us at the embassy, and also just generally. Do they have access to the to facilities where those uh, weapons and, and other ammunition uh, are held? They have access to every place that we can get to physically and to places where they can't have access, for example, on the front lines. We have developed some alternative means to account for things like weapons. In the last two years, the United States helped Ukraine uh, a lot uh, militarily, but a lot of money actually stays in the United States, uh, in, a, in a rural community that produce those weapons. Uh, do you have some insights of how the money is spent? Thanks for that question. Actually, the money that we are uh, allocating to Ukraine is spent in 31 states across the nation, and that includes uh, Patriot missiles in Arizona, it includes uh, artillery in Pennsylvania, it includes even uh, vehicles from my home state of Michigan. So this is actually also very important to Americans and American jobs, while it also supports Ukraine. The Ukrainian economy, despite the war and uh, significant downturn, survived. Uh, the U.S. Uh, helped a lot. What are the outlook for the next year for Ukrainian economy uh, from your perspective? And what uh, new mechanism are you uh, planning to use to help Ukraine to survive? This is actually uh, maybe one of the biggest successes that Ukraine has had outside of the military sphere. Um, your economy, the Ukrainian economy, has grown by 5% in the last year. It's phenomenal. A big part of that is uh, Ukrainian ability to continue exports. And that was done even though Russia pulled out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. Uh, through incredibly brave and creative efforts. A new corridor was created out of the Black Sea ports, and now 760 ships and over 23 million metric tons of goods have uh, set sail uh, safely. And that's important to the world because it was getting, it's getting grain and other supplies out, but also very important to Ukraine's economy. I talked to uh, Ukrainian business and uh, they are really appreciative of uh, special insurance mechanism that Western financial institutions are using. Mm -hmm. Are you planning to expand that effort? Yes, we're working together with the Ukrainian government as well as other partners to support in every way we can uh, increasing exports out of the Black Sea ports, out of the Danube ports, and also improving border crossings and other things uh, to facilitate these exports and ultimately bring money back into state coffers. This is a big part of our assistance and it's uh, supporting Ukraine's ability to sustain itself. What are your outlook for the next year and uh, for Ukraine and uh, for the region? Well, I, it's the same as when I started. Ukraine must win. The United States, together with partners and allies, are going to continue to support Ukrainians in this objective. And what that means is to reclaim their territories, to move closer to Europe, to the EU, and ultimately to NATO, uh, to move toward what, what Ukrainians want, which is a sovereign, independent, prosperous country that's integrated into Euro-Atlantic institutions. That will be a strong and important partner for the United States 
and that's what we support. VOA's Eastern Europe Bureau Chief, Maroslova Gangadze, with U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Bridget Brink. President Joe Biden met privately in California on Thursday with the widow and daughter of Kremlin opposition leader Alexei Navalny, who died in a Russian prison. As you state the obvious, he was a man of incredible courage. And it's amazing how his wife and daughter are emulating that. And we're going to be announcing the sanctions against Putin, who is responsible for his death. Yulia and Dasha Navalny met with Biden in San Francisco. The strain of war, among other things, has fractured the relationship between the United States and Russia. Some say it's worse than it was at the lowest point of the Cold War. Here's Reuters correspondent Lauren Anthony. First of all, the Kremlin lashed out at Joe Biden on Thursday after the U.S. president called Russia's Vladimir Putin a crazy SOB. It said Biden had debased the United States and called his remarks part of a failed Hollywood cowboy act. Here's Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. The use of such language against the head of another state by the President of the United States is unlikely to infringe on our President, President Putin. But probably it debases those who use such vocabulary. It may seem like an attempt to appear as a cowboy from Hollywood. But frankly speaking, I do not think it is possible. The U.S. president made the initial comments while addressing threats to the world. Among that list was, quote, that guy Putin and others, the risk of nuclear conflict and the existential threat to humanity from climate change. Peskov said Putin had never addressed Biden using one crude word and said that such vocabulary debases America itself. Putin ally and former president Dmitry Medvedev added the existential threat to the world came from, quote, useless old geezers like Biden himself. Medvedev also said Biden was senile and ready to start a war with Russia. Biden's comments followed two years of war in Ukraine, the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, and U.S. assertions that Russia plans to put a nuclear weapon in space. Those topics have led to the biggest crisis in relations between Russia and the West since the Cold War. Some Russian and U.S. diplomats say they can't remember a time when relations between the world's two biggest nuclear powers were worse. Biden also took aim at Putin last week after Navalny's death in a Russian penal colony was announced, saying it was a consequence of something that Putin and his thugs did. Thugs did. Russian officials say the West rushed to blame Putin without waiting for evidence. Reuters correspondent Lauren Anthony. We're following these other stories from around the world. Senegal President Macky Sall said on Thursday that April 2nd will be the end of his mandate as president. He added, however, that it was unlikely the election of a new president will be completed before then. Saul last week promised he would abide by the Constitutional Council's request for the vote to be scheduled as soon as possible. South Korea has raised its health alert as of Friday morning after 
Thousands of doctors walked off the job this week to protest a government plan to raise the number of medical school admissions. The health ministry said South Korea will maximize the use of public hospitals to help alleviate pressures on the medical system caused by the ongoing walkout. The United States, Britain, France, and Germany on Thursday all backed outgoing Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte to succeed Jens Stoltenberg as the head of NATO, putting him in a strong position to win the leadership of the transatlantic alliance. Stoltenberg will step down in October. Three Palestinians opened fire at motorists near an Israeli checkpoint in the occupied West Bank near Jerusalem on Thursday, killing one person and wounding five. Emergency services said one woman was seriously wounded. At the G20 meeting, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the ministers discussed the situation in Gaza. The conflict in, in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. We're focused intensely on trying to get an agreement that results in the release of the remaining hostages and that produces an extended humanitarian ceasefire. Uh, and again, those are goals that I think virtually everyone in the G20 shares. Now, although fighting in Gaza shows no signs of ending anytime soon, the international community is looking at a day-after scenario in the Gaza Strip. The United States says it wants to see a demilitarized Palestinian state headed by a revitalized Palestinian authority. Israel continues to reject the creation and recognition of a Palestinian state. Here's Linda Granstein in Jerusalem. U.S. news reports say Washington envisions a new regional order in which Israel would agree to a demilitarized Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. In return, Israel would get a long-coveted peace deal with Saudi Arabia, which in turn would get a defense pact with the U.S. Other Arab countries that already have peace agreements with Israel would provide security assurances that the Palestinian state would not become a threat to Israel. Some Palestinian analysts and former peace talks negotiators view the U.S. initiative as unrealistic and not substantive. Gaithel Omari is a former negotiator for the Palestinian side, now with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. When the U.S. talks about the Palestinian state, I don't think there is much clarity about the substance of what this means. When they talk about it, they really are responding to a regional demand to at least have a political horizon. It has been tried before. In 1993, Israel and the Palestinians, together with U.S. President Bill Clinton, signed the Oslo Accords, laying out a roadmap to a Palestinian state. That never happened. But some Oslo negotiators say it's not too late, even after the October 7th Hamas massacre and ensuing four months of war in Gaza. Yossi Bellin helped negotiate the Oslo Accords on behalf of Israel. Usually you make peace after war. Look at the history that we all studies. When did we have uh, in history in Europe or in other places uh, peace treaties afterwards? So uh, usually afterwards, the hatred on both sides increases. So how come? Because people want to get rid of it, of, of the problem, and eventually are ready to do, to, to make peace. But Balin's vision of peace is not in line with current Israeli public opinion, according to a poll by the Israel Democracy Institute that finds two-thirds of Jewish Israelis do not support a Palestinian state, even as part of an agreement that includes peace with Saudi Arabia. Linda Gradstein, VOA News, 
Jerusalem. Both China and Iran addressed the World Court on Thursday where a request by the UN General Assembly for a non-binding advisory opinion on the decades-long Israeli-Palestinian conflict involving occupied territories is being heard. The Palestinian-Israeli conflict stems from Israel's prolonged occupation of Palestinian territory and Israel's long-standing oppression of the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people fight against Israeli oppression and their struggle for completing establishment of an independent state. Thursday was the fourth day of hearings at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. International edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. In the U.S. presidential primary elections, early voting has started in the U.S. state of Georgia. One voter explaining why he was casting his ballot. Um, it's important to get my vote out. I'm supporting to get the right president for the United States. On Saturday, the U.S. state of South Carolina will hold its primary election. This one South Carolina voter expressed an opinion in which you can hear, in a democracy, why you still hold elections, even though you think you know what people are thinking and how the election's going to turn out. So, yeah, I am undecided, and it is from lack of faith in the system. Um, I'm a double minority. I'm black. I'm a woman. So the candidates, you know, well, I guess no one's, like, chosen yet, but if it does come down to Trump versus Biden again, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. The South Carolina primary election is the third major ballot of the primary season. And finally, we're back. The United States has landed on the moon at 5.23 p.m. Central Time today, February 22nd, 2024. On Thursday, the United States landed an unmanned spacecraft on the surface of the moon. There were a few tense moments when at first they weren't getting a signal from the ship and weren't sure it landed safely. Then a faint signal was heard and this announcement from Mission Control. We're not dead yet. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, a former senator and former U.S. astronaut himself, spoke after the landing. Today, for the first time in more than a half century, the U.S. has returned to the moon. Today, for the first time in the history of humanity, a commercial company, an American company, launched and led the voyage up there. Thursday's landing represented the first controlled descent to the lunar surface by a U.S. spacecraft since Apollo 17 in 1972, when NASA's last moon mission with a crew on board landed there with astronauts Gene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, thank you so much for being with us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman.
Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died February 16th in a Russian maximum security prison. He was Russian President Vladimir Putin's most prominent critic and political opponent, as well as the nation's foremost anti-corruption campaigner. After a decade of harassment by authorities, in 2020, Navalny survived an assassination attempt in Russia, poisoning from the chemical agent Novichok. After recovering in Germany, he insisted on returning to Russia, where he was immediately arrested and imprisoned on spurious, politically motivated charges. In August 2023, Navalny was sentenced to an additional 19 years on charges of extremism. He had been serving time in a prison camp east of Moscow under extremely harsh conditions until December when he was moved to the highest security level facility in the country near the Arctic Circle, a remote area known for its severe winters. Secretary of State Antony Blinken decried Navalny's untimely passing and lauded his advocacy of democratic principles. For more than a decade, Russian government, Putin, persecuted, poisoned, and imprisoned Alexei Navalny. And now, the reports of his death. Our hearts go out to his wife and to his family. Beyond that, his death in a Russian prison and the fixation and fear of one man only underscores the weakness and rot at the heart of the system that Putin has built. President Joe Biden said what has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target citizens of other countries, as we've seen what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. The people of Russia and around the world are mourning the death of Alexei Navalny because he was brave, principled, and dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law is equally applied. Navalny knew, said President Biden, it was a cause worth fighting for and obviously even dying for. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States.